What have we learned about Heidi? But cockroaches were the least of her problems. Heidi had to fight for every opportunity. You know, Heidi is, even though she's very kind of sweet and innocent. Heidi wanted out of the slum, and her agent wasn't doing enough. Oh my God, they moved Heidi right next to me now. Although Heidi seems serene. She is, she's a bit naughty. She uses an ancient folk remedy to help calm her down. Heidi is back. There's something that almost looks like a sun. It's kind of crazy. It feels like it's been forever since we have seen it. Happy Monday. Heidi Glaus here with Josh Gilbert, Connor over on the board, and we've got a uh, fine show to get to. Let me just, out of the gate, tell you what we have uh, planned. I don't know if you guys have seen this new clue in the uh, Amelia Earhart story, but there's this millionaire billionaire who is going on a search and he thinks he has found like a I guess it's a sonar picture of what looks to be a plane at the bottom of the ocean but Chris Williamson is the host of Chasing Earhart podcast he's also the author of Rabbit Hole the Vanishing of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan he's going to join us at uh, 3:35 to talk about this new clue And Chris is tied in, uh, I don't know, uh, the depths of his relationship. Let's see what you did there. Oh, I didn't even realize I did that. Okay. Um, With the Amelia Earhart Birthplace Museum, which is in Atchison, Kansas, which is just across the border from Missouri. So if anybody ever wanted to go to Amelia Earhart's childhood home, it's a road trip. Okay. I like those kind of put that on the check for... An RV stop along the way. We'll also talk to ABC News' Andy Field, this drone strike that has killed three U.S. service members, which is just, heart goes out to those families. And what does this do? Does this pull us further in as a country? What do we know? We'll talk to Andy in the 4 o'clock. You guys hear me talk all the time about Confluence Academy and just the fantastic work that they're doing, but sometimes you want to hear it from the people that are creating these fantastic experiences for students. So we'll talk to the CEO. We'll also talk to the head of school of Grand Center Arts Academy, and we'll even have a, a student joining us at 415. We'll talk a little sports with Brendan Weesey in the 5 o'clock. We've got our top five at 5. But here's what I want to hear from you guys on the Woods Basement Systems text line, 84126, because it is a new year, and much like we look at ourselves in the new year, how do we become better? What can I do to be a better person in 2024? We also want this show to be better, and you guys are a huge 
part of this show. I mean, it's as much your show as it is mine and Josh's. So let us know on the text line, what do you want to hear more of? What do you want us to just say, you know what, you talk about this way too much and it's on my nerves. It is an open invite for you to share what you want to hear more of here on the Heidi Glau Show with Josh Gilbert. I'll tell you this. Were you going to say something? I was just going to say, if they do it at the post office, uh, if they do it at the fast food place. You mean if they, like, drop that little note in the box? No, well, it's uh, the at the bottom of the receipt, It's uh, you could take a survey and maybe you could win a free taco. Oh, or, well, we're not giving anything away. Receipt, well, no, we're not. Take that survey and tell them how we did. Uh-huh. Uh, I know in my personal life, my New Year's resolution is to get back on the weight loss secret, mm-hmm. which I am down five pounds. Oh, congratulations. And I gained back three over the weekend. Because it's tough. We had a cheat weekend. Yeah. Um, but Football my, does not play well into those diets, at least oh, not in my house. Chicken wings. And you got who has chicken wings without ranch? Um, but do you do blue cheese, by the way? Oh, yeah. Love blue cheese. Would you chicken wings? uh, Wings? I don't do chicken wings often, but... Ranch or blue cheese is the question. Well, funny, because we did have some uh, chicken wings yesterday where we were watching. And as I say, we, it was like at the table. But I had some celery, and there was no blue cheese, so I dipped it in the ranch. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know. It's kind of boring, isn't it? Uh, And what will you be having, ma'am? Oh, I'm just going to eat their celery from their chicken rings. Anyway. Look, let me tell you, I I also had a roast beef sandwich and some French fries. It wasn't like I was trying to be healthy. All right. Uh, So my radio, radio resolution is to complain less. Oh. But unless. Connor, did you hear that? On the Woods Basement Systems text line 84126. Unless you want me to complain more, um, I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> I, I like more that. than happy to. Yeah. So Wood, Woods Basement Systems text line eight four one two six. Are there certain topics you'd rather us really dig into? Are there certain things that you would rather us stay away from? Are there certain segments that you love and you look forward to, or some that make you cringe? We want to hear from you on the Woods Basement Systems text line eight four one two six. I'll tell you this, and I mentioned seeing the sun. Seems like for the first time in a long time. But Saturday was just the perfect, rainy, cloudy day to hunker down. And so we just had a movie day. Did not get out of our PJs. Didn't leave the house and watched Oppenheimer because I had the time. You did? I did. What did you think of it? I thought in the beginning, am I smart enough for this? Yeah. And I had to pause at a certain point just to kind of look up, because this is based on a true story, who are these people? people, And what are they really going after this guy for? And trying to figure out the whole communism thing. I, I had to pause and do a little reading, but I thought the movie was fantastic. However, I don't think it was as good as the holdovers. The holdovers... Might be, and I've seen uh, American Fiction I loved. I've seen Barbie. The Holdovers, in my opinion, one of the best movies I've seen in probably the last five years. Wow. That is a that is a, a great review. But Connor, a resident movie watcher, mm-hmm. goes to the movie theater, if you could believe that. Is that all it takes? That's all it Just takes. Going to the Connor went to the movie theater. theater. 
the holdovers, what'd you think? I really liked it as well. Is, really it, better good. Than, is it better than Oppenheimer? Well, they're, they're different kinds of movies. Right? Well, that wasn't right. the question. Yeah. Uh, and they're one, not. One Oscar. It's like a more comfortable watch, probably, for is a the Saturday. Is up for yes. Uh, yes. Best Picture? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what we're trying to check them all off the yeah. list right now. But I will tell I mean, it's not really a feel-good movie. It's you feel loneliness when you watch of a couple different characters, but you really feel it. And I, I thought all of the acting, um, Paul Giamatti was fantastic, but he's always so good. And then Joy Divine, and I'm not sure if that's her whole name or there's something. She, I've never seen her in anything, but immediately when she hit the screen, I Googled to make sure she was up for a nomination and she won the Golden Globe Paul Giamatti won the Golden Globe for their roles in this, and so it it really, in my opinion, was a fantastic and the, uh, movie. The kid, the Dominic Sessa, is the actor's name. Yes. He was just a local guy, and like in school in the area, oh, and they yeah. like were like, "Well, you know, if anyone wants to come audition, I didn't know that part. I started was, googling him, and mm-hmm. he didn't have a lot of credits. This is the first thing he's ever been in, to my knowledge. So. Well, he was fantastic. Yeah, as he was well. really good. But uh, hey, this kid's got a sweater on. Let's let's put him yeah, see, in. Exactly. This yeah. is why the world goes around, and it takes all kinds of different people. Someone from the three one four, the holdovers, was as boring as watching paint dry. Oh wow! Oh. Um, to each their own. And full disclosure: paint has never won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Or watching it dry. Yeah. Somebody said, "Josh, just be yourself." Complaining is just part of you. Uh. Yeah, interesting. Interesting stuff. You guys keep the uh, texts coming in. What did you do this weekend? We went to a trivia night on Saturday night, and we didn't come in first place. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm disappointed about But some of the questions were pretty tough. Um, and we had a big cheat weekend. Uh, ate cheese for the first time in three weeks. And that was – by the way – you want to talk about something that you rave about. Here's my complete endorsement of a Norwegian cheese called Yit Toast. Is it like the peanut butter? It's like the, it's the peanut butter cheese. Yes, on, I love it. You can buy it at Deerberg's in the cheese section. It's, I've never seen it there. It's a cube, and it's, it's caramel in color. And I think they call it the Norwegian caramel cheese. And uh, it, the brand is Ski Queen. Maybe. Okay, now I'm going to go search. But it, every time I have it, I just can't believe how good it actually is. So if you're looking for a cheese for your cheese platter for the Super Bowl or for your charcuterie board, Yit Toast Norwegian Ski Queen Peanut Butter Cheese. I don't know how you search it, but just go to Deerberg's and ask the cheesemonger to find it for you. That's my big endorsement of the weekend. And then we just watch football. I have to ask Connor, not mm-hmm. to keep pulling him in, because I know he's busy pushing buttons over there. Well, he does more than that. And we'll talk to Brennan about this. He's the biggest Lions fan in St. Louis. <laughs> Connor. Well, I know that's not true. I'm probably the biggest one you know, but biggest that's because I'm fan the only one you know. That I know. Connor, what did you think of the epic collapse last night? Um... 
epic collapse. I mean, I feel like you're setting it up, trying to get a little incendiary. I, I mean, I tried to figure out how to phrase it, but that, that well, kept coming up. is it an epic collapse, or is it coaching at halftime and making the perfect adjustments? Uh, I would think it's record-setting collapse, uh, right? record tying. record tying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they said that in the broadcast. Uh, it was the same. It's the ties, it's the same score. 17 points. Yeah. It was tough because I, I was, was rooting. rooting for I was rooting Detroit. for them. So it was a big football weekend, and maybe Connor, after he's done licking his wounds, can tell us. Yeah. So what do, you, to, what do you want me to tell to you? Like that. I, I'm, I'm all right. I already have moved on. Are you okay? Do you, you want to blame I, I anybody? I move on right away. I don't linger on these things anymore. Okay. I don't know. Well, I, you know, oh, I just I want... I just, you know, I w- I'm already ready for next season. That's oh, how I okay. operate. They made yeah. it further than they've ever made it before. So that's, or in however many years. Someone wants to know if that cheese tastes like peanut butter or just looks like peanut butter. Both. It has a, I would say, <laughs> I called it the peanut butter cheese, but it really, it has hints of peanut butter. It's, it's sweet and creamy. Uh, I would say, does it taste or look like peanut butter? I would say both. Little bit. A little bit of both. Someone else said, I must enjoy watching paint dry. Someone else from the 618, if you like the holdovers, you have to see American Fiction. I did. I loved American Fiction as well. You and saw that too? Uh-huh, start, well, that's at the Alamo. It's playing at a oh, couple yeah, different places. Right. But uh, it stars Sterling K. Brown, St. Louis native. Sterling K. Brown, who you might remember from This Is Us. Um, and he's up for a supporting actor, Oscar. For his role in American Sh- shirtless role, yes, right? that's he it. He probably rarely, about half the time. Rarely puts a shirt yeah. on. In this yeah. movie. Someone else saying the Amelia Earhart story is fake news. Uh, it fake news. <laughs> her plane was last seen on the island of Japan, where she was beheaded for spying. Okay, I mean uh, that's, that's one of the uh, conspiracy theories. But the texter knows that. How yeah. come the rest of the world doesn't? There was like some sort of picture that came out with her at a, and we'll talk to Chris Williamson about this. It always seems like once a year another piece of the puzzle comes out. So my biggest question is, how does this new story fit into the whole lore? Mm-hmm. You know, if she was beheaded on Saipan, how would this? Does this plane fit in with that story? And which one uh, does the world really believe in? So I'm I'm pretty interested because for some reason, a hundred years later, we're still fascinated by this story. Well, I'm wondering too. Are kids today fascinated? Do they learn the story oh, yeah. of Amelia Earhart in school, or is this something that our generation is just obsessed with? Huh. I don't know. Right. I mean, I always thought it was something that uh, kind of. Please correct me on this. We taught little girls to let them know that you, too, can be uh, a pilot and mm-hmm. you, too, can circumnavigate the globe solo. In no, your I airplane. think that's a good point. Yeah, you you could be whatever you want. Just look at Amelia Earhart. Unfortunately, she disappeared, but that's part of the mystery. Yeah, very interesting stuff. But as I mentioned, we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes coming up. Um Kind of crazy, and I I don't understand this, and maybe you guys can. Did you see that a couple protesters threw soup at the Mona Lisa painting over that? I, I don't understand what you're trying to prove with that. I mean, I guess these are climate protesters uh, at the Louvre in Paris, and they threw pumpkin soup. When, how do you even get in with, with that? Because don't you have to – I mean, just going to the Fox – 
to see funny girl. They're searching your purse. They're searching your, you know. But I don't understand what that is proving. Why that painting? Why are you throwing soup on it? And and they know I know this, and I've never been to the Louvre, but the Mona Lisa is under glass, and the most protected painting probably on Earth. They're just going to take a towel and wipe it off. You haven't really done anything. I actually think that people that throw soup on the Mona Lisa are hurting their cause, you know? Yeah. Because it's like, oh, they're climbing. Oh, what a bunch of weirdos. And so whatever their cause is, I'm, I'm against it. Well, I'd rather just talk about things rather than trying to... I mean, I know, as you said, it's under glass, so it's not ruined. But still, what are you? What are we doing? That seems why, so. Why pumpkin soup? Was that part of the the protest? Yeah, I'm gonna tell you, I, I didn't give it a, as much read as that. Um, somebody said it's a food shortage protest. I think the French farmers, uh, something to do with French yeah. farmers. I guess. Uh, but the climate people have have thrown. Attempted to throw paint. Well, this says they're climate protesters, but I guess it also has to do with the food counterattack. Do they want to ruin the Mona Lisa or do they just want us to talk about it? it? Yeah. Here's what I want to talk about. And I'd love to – probably everybody has a story. Have you seen this, I guess, groom's brother – kind of making his toast at the wedding. He was the best man. And instead of, and maybe he went on and on about how close they were and how special their relationship was. But the thing that is getting everyone's attention and the reason that it was on the Today Show is this brother, during his best man speech, confesses, Hilariously, in my opinion, a secret during his speech that has gone on since they were boys. I guess the groom got in trouble for, you know how you have paint guns and those paint balls that splatter? Mm -hmm. The groom, when he was a boy, was accused of throwing a couple of these paint balls at the neighbor's house. And he told his parents, I didn't do it. Well, for all of these years, 20-plus years, he's been the guy accused. And then at his wedding, his brother, his, you know, best man says, uh, oh, by the way, I was the one. You were right. I threw the paintballs at that house, it was me, it wasn't you. And he, the groom's reaction. The look on his face, you know this was genuine. It's, and he kind of says, wait, wait, are you serious? And it kind of pans to the groom who is just in shock. And he goes, I got into so much trouble for that. And the brother is kind of like, I really wanted to watch TV that night. I'm sorry. <laughs> There was something good on, and I didn't want to get grounded, so I didn't fess up. And he said, so I bring this up now as a wedding gift for closure, that I am the one that threw those paintballs 
thank you for letting me watch TV that night. Can you imagine (laughs) for 25 years sitting on something like that? At what point do you think the brothers said, well, you know, I could tell them now. It's been 15 years. Or I, you know what? Why don't I just wait until he gets married Uh and tell him then? I would be very interested to find out his thought process behind that. Maybe we can get him on. I mean, it's kind of fun. We can look him up, right? Have you ever ever given a a speech? My sister's. Oh, you did? Yeah. Now, was it weepy? Mm. Brought the house? You know what? I really... tears? Was it funny? I don't remember. You don't? No. I mean, it wasn't because I was... I just, it's been 20 years. I don't remember. Clearly, it wasn't that, uh, yeah, wasn't that right. memorable. Yeah, I, I think I put more effort like literally. into the uh, the rehearsal dinner because I did a whole video with pictures and oh, I told okay. a story about that. And I, I had pictures of both, you know, her and Scott when they were little and how they've well, you grown remember, together. You seem to remember quite a bit about well, this. Well, about that because I put a lot, I'm saying I put a lot more time into that. I just, I can't remember what. Well, isn't the big speech, the the groomsmen and the, the bridesmaid speech? I mean, it depends on, I guess, who you talk to. Oh, Heidi seems to really uh, prefer the the night before. Yeah. Well, that's. The rehearsal. Just me. But um, our friend Susan says, having been to the Louvre, you have to go through security. I saw the soup thing and didn't get it either. I um, wonder if there were. Now, what is this? You know, but uh, pumpkin soup. And oh, that's just my lunch. Yeah, surely you know. not. They know better than that, don't they? I think so. It's not the first time that they've done something ridiculous like this. Anyway, you know what we have coming up? I hope you'll hang out with us here on the Big 550 KTR. So there are these new sonar images that may reveal the location of Amelia Earhart's plane. Chris Williamson is the host of the Chasing Earhart podcast and author of Rabbit Hole, The Vanishing of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan, and he joins us with what he knows. First, Chris, when did you become fascinated with Amelia? Oh, that's a great question. Um, just really, when I was really young, I was in third grade, I did a book book report on her, and I... Uh, my teacher had all these eight by ten glossies around the room, and you know I saw the big, the really well known bomber jacket photo. You know, if you Google her right now, you'll you'll kind of see that image. And I just picked her, and I just kind of became fascinated with her story, her legacy, uh, the disappearance. On top of that, just became as I got older, of course, became really interesting, and it's been with me ever since. Is it something about her, or are you into other like uh, mis- mysteries? The Marie Celeste, that boat that just went missing. Yeah. You know, or is it just yeah. her story that got you? Well, her story is always, you know, she's always sort of been with me. You know, she's uh, she's sort of a, always loomed over my over my life. I think most people that get into the story will kind of tell you the same one. Uh, but for me, yeah, personally, I mean, we've for the show for Vanish, we've done a lot of stuff. We've talked about John Luke's booth. We're getting ready to talk about Jesse James. We've talked about Jack the Ripper, the Zodiac, a bunch of other stuff as well. But we always seem to come back, or I always seem to come back to Earhart because I'm, I'm sort of so ingrained in the story and in, into this case now that uh, it's just become a fascination that you really can't 
you know, you know, you just really can't walk away from. And the legacy is, is you know, hotter now than it really ever has been. And, and that's why stories like this sort of set the world on fire every time they drop every so often. So, Chris, what do we know about this Tony Romeo and what he's found? Well, Tony's a really great guy. Um, I met him a couple of years ago, uh, you know, during the book launch uh, for my book. And uh, he was, you know, getting ready to go out. He had a spot that he had sort of a pretty good confidence in that they were going to start looking uh, you know, he's just a gem of a guy. He is, you know, basically a self-funded guy. And uh, they went out and they found, gathered a bunch of data, as a lot of deep ocean searches tend to do. And, of course, uh, as they also tend to do, they, they tend to look at that data, you know, after the fact, kind of review it and see what happened. And they found this image that is now plastered all over the world of this blurry twin-tail engine uh, aircraft, potentially, that could be, uh, it looks suspiciously like, you know, Earhart's aircraft, and it's in an area about 100 miles from Howland Island, which makes sense if you listen to the radio logs from the Itasca and you listen to sort of what was jotted down that day and what they heard Earhart say. So, you know, things like this is are really, really compelling, and he's got this image to start, and now the next step is to go back and collect some more finite, uh, definite imagery to see if they actually have the plane and not just a plane. And uh, the world awaits. It's kind of how this case works. I remember, I don't know if it was last year or a couple years ago, someone thought they had an image of her at like a prison camp. Whatever became of that? Yeah, that's that's an active investigation. You know, the, the Earhart cases uh, got several of them going. And uh, that's uh, that's known as the Jaluit dock photo. And it was uh, found back in 2017. Um, by a gentleman by the name of Les Kinney, uh, and it was the centerpiece around the History Channel's Lost Evidence Project that they did. Uh, And uh, they went all in on that, and there's been some controversy around when that photo precisely was taken. Uh, But they've since done some research on that. They're still investigating that to the Hill, and they really believe that there is no other other possibility for any uh, Anglo-American North American people to be in that spot in that time. It has to be Earhart. It has to be Noonan. And if you look at that image, that image particularly of Noonan is really good. It looks really striking. So things like that are just very compelling. This is a case that seems to get crazier and crazier. And you have all these different theories that just sort of come out of the woodwork and, you know, maybe tell a larger story perhaps. It's a really interesting sort of visual rabbit hole that we're seeing sort of exposed here in front of the media and everything. And I want to hear what some of the other uh, theories might be, the wackier, the wild, the better. But um, (laughs) somebody said that they thought she was a spy and she was beheaded. So we'll get to that in just a second. But you've mentioned Fred Noonan. He's part of your book, uh, A Rabbit Hole. Who was Fred? Yeah, so Fred was really one of the, the... he was the pioneer of celestial navigation, really navigation, if you ask a lot of people. If you ask, ask a lot of modern-day navigation, navigational experts, they'll say he's one of the pioneers. A lot of people argue he's the guy. He basically wrote the book for Pan Am and all of their journeys across the Pacific. Uh, he was one of the premier navigators in the world, and he was the guy that you would want to have on board an aircraft like that. You know, he was, uh, you know, he was sharp as a tack. There was rumors that Noonan, you know, had issues with alcohol later in his life. Uh, But, you know, Earhart really believed in him. They had a kinship. They had an understanding. And she believed in his ability to uh, get her out of a jam should they end up in one. And uh, Noonan was just one of the the pioneers of of aviation, of celestial navigation, and just one of the pioneers of Pan Am in general as a company um, and what they've done for the country and aviation in general. So he was really a giant 
um, you know, when it comes to celestial navigation. And, and he's often not talked about. And uh, we really try to push the fact that, hey, there were two people on that plane that day. It wasn't just Amelia Earhart. There was Fred Noonan. He was newly remarried. He was going to start a celestial navigation school when he returned from the world flight. They both had big, big plans for the back half of their careers. And, uh, you know, it just kind of adds to the tragedy of it all. And that's my thing. I, I didn't realize there was anybody else on board. I thought this was uh, a solo flight, like like the first one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, she needed a navigator for sure because they wanted to go equatorially. Uh, it wasn't the first world flight, but she really wanted to put an exclamation point on it because, you know, there were people that at the time were saying that she wasn't that good of a pilot. I'm sure you've probably heard that before in the press. Uh, people report that maybe she was just very well connected. She was just very well lucked, you know, very well, very well lucked out. Uh, you know, her husband was George Palmer Putnam, who, you know, was a big deal and who was kind of sort of one of the biggest publishers in the world at the time. So she kind of had the best press agents and all that stuff. People argue that she was just kind of in the right place. But she wanted to put an exclamation point around it. She wanted to go around the world equatorially, and she needed a navigator to be able to do that. And she knew that she couldn't do it on her own. She didn't have the skills. So enter Fred Noonan. Chris, what else do maybe we, the common public, not know about Amelia Earhart? Oh, well, how much time do we have? Uh, I would say Earhart was, Earhart is a giant. Okay, so um, I'll give you guys a concrete example. So there is uh, a, a museum. It's a wonderful museum, the Amelia Earhart Birthplace Museum in Atchison, Kansas. That's where she started her life. That's where the story begins. And every year, uh, there are hundreds of letters that go to that museum from children all over the world that are writing to Amelia Earhart in modern time, as if she's still alive. And that is really sort of beautiful to see. There is uh, a monument in Atchison, Kansas called the Forest of Friendship. It's kind of like a hall of fame of aviation and nautical, aeronautical uh, icons and things of that nature. Amelia Earhart has her own hall of fame. There's an Amelia Earhart Day at NASA. There's an Amelia Earhart Festival every year in Atchison, Kansas, that brings together some of the most incredible people, aviation all over the world, that honor her. Uh, for what she did. Purdue is still rocked by her disappearance. This thing has become a juggernaut, and everybody just wants to know what happened. And that's what we're trying to find out. We've got multiple active theories, multiple active investigations. It's the juiciest disappearance ever, and it's uh, really at the tail end of a 39-year-old life that was really remarkable. It's like, imagine Taylor Swift vanishing into thin air tomorrow (laughs) and nobody knowing where she went. Uh, You know, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. At the time she disappeared, she was the most photographed and videographed woman on the face of the earth. Wow. This wasn't somebody that was just, uh, you know, a famous aviator. This was a female Indiana Jones. This was she was a scientist. You know, what she did with Purdue was remarkable and groundbreaking, and it was going to change the game. She was in STEM. A hundred years before STEM had an acronym. Yeah. Which so, says a lot, this, doesn't it? Yeah. Chris, this is a woman that, yeah, that, absolutely. There yeah, was no on on, love so. story between the two? That It was a completely platonic relationship between Noonan and oh, between Earhart? Between Fred Noonan? Yeah, no, no, no. There was never, I think it really was platonic. I think it really was respect. She needed somebody to get her uh, safely around the world. She needed somebody who's, you know, who she can put her, she needed somebody's hands that she could put their, you know, she put her life in. And uh, she trusted Fred Noonan. And Noonan uh, trusted Amelia Earhart's, you know, pilot, pilot ability and trusted her ability, her tenacity and her fearlessness. And they just kind of had a kinship. And 
they also had some, you know, some little arguments and things here and there. I personally believe that, you know, the whole thing with Noonan, him being an alcoholic, that would not have flown with Earhart. As a matter of fact, we know that when they were in Lay, New Guinea, which is where they took off from before they disappeared, the last known location, uh, depending on what you believe, uh, but they were in Lay, New Guinea, and they take off, and they had to delay that takeoff because and Amelia sent a telegram to her husband, uh, George Palmer Putnam, and she says, we're delaying a day personnel unfitness. We don't know if she meant Fred Noonan. She didn't say Fred Noonan, but there's rumor and innuendo going on that maybe Fred Noonan was a little too drunk and they had to delay it a day. So, you know, you kind of take that how you how you will. But she really uh, respected Noonan and believed in his ability, and I think vice versa, absolutely. What are some of the theories, the conspiracy theories, happened to them? And uh, with your scholarship on this whole thing, okay. what do you think happened to them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so just a, just a quick rundown. I mean, Earhart's, you know, there are theories that cover this whole globe uh, as far as where Earhart might be. Um, I will tell you just a few of them. We have some of them will be well known to listeners of the show. They've been in the press several times before. One of them is the you known as the castaway theory. That's off of Nicomaroro Island. Uh, that's where the Nicomaroro bones were found. That's uh, where the post lost radio signals triangulate, things of that nature. Uh, that is run by Rick Gillespie and the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery. They've been working on that island for some time. So that's one of them. Uh, the other one is Japanese capture. You mentioned her being a spy. Well, Japanese capture is sort of like, think of it as like the biggest umbrella in the entirety of the case. So it's like almost a choose-your-own-adventure scenario. You know, there's a lot of people that believe that she died one way. There's a lot of people that believe that she died another way. Uh, one of them was being beheaded. Um, or not, I'm sorry, not being beheaded. She was uh, basically shot and kicked into a shallow grave. Fred Noonan was beheaded in that scenario. Uh, the other scenario is that she died of dysentery at Garapan Prison in a jail cell, which still stands to this day. Um, there's a lot of really interesting, compelling evidence, including 200 eyewitnesses in and around the Marshall Islands and in and out of the U.S. Navy and the military that support the idea that she was, in fact, there in custody. And they've interacted with either Earhart or Noonan or different things, the Electra, uh, at one time or another. So it's a really crazy, it's a really crazy story. Um, but it makes a lot of sense when you think of sort of some of the people that Earhart knew and the inner circles that she ran with. And, uh, you know, if they were going to pull off a spy mission, if they needed a reason for it at the time of at the time that, that this was all going on, she would have been the perfect cover. And it wouldn't have been that crazy because we know Lindbergh was a spy. They've done this before. So it's you start looking at all that and you think, well, maybe maybe it's possible when you start looking at some of the evidence there and it's it's really remarkable stuff so that's just one of them a couple of them i should say there's several dozen more basically but it just keeps going and going which one do you think well i'll be honest with you i think so we have we have an aircraft out at buca right now that's very very that really kind of makes me nervous and uh, it's run by a gentleman by the name of bill snavely he runs up a group called project blue angel They've been looking at this aircraft in Buka uh, that's just over the halfway point between Howland Island and Lay, New Guinea. So think of it as, you know, kind of maybe 60 percent of the way there, maybe a little less than that. Um, and the theory posits that Earhart and Noonan uh, had to turn around because they actually hit a lot of unanticipated uh, headwinds. There were trade winds that weren't documented at the time globally that they hit, and they burned a lot more fuel than they anticipated. They encountered inclement weather, and the plane actually crashed. It kind of got hit by lightning and crashed. And there was actually an eyewitness to this that happened to see it. He was a little kid at the time. And this plane crashes out of the ocean. It sits in 105 feet of water um, on a K right now in a really interesting nautical environment. And it's got a striking amount of similarities to Earhart's Electra. So it's just another 
just another aircraft. But it's, this one is a very different scenario than what Tony's got because this one is wrapped in about four and a half feet of coral. It's a really, really deteriorated situation. If Tony is right, then this plane might be, there might be some damage, but it might be in pretty decent shape. As we know, the ocean has a tendency to keep things in pretty good shape over long periods of time. So we have multiple planes all over. I think Buka is screaming to be investigated, and that's what we're intending to do with a really history-making investigation on that. That's coming up very soon. And then we have this plane out uh, in the middle of the ocean and a couple of other interesting theories going on. So the case is the case is not stopping. It's one of the most active investigations, really, in historical mystery. And so, Chris, so, you think one day we will know what happened to Amelia Earhart? Not only do I think one day we will know what will happen or what happened to Amelia Earhart, I think that day is coming very, very soon. So I think there are too many things going on right now, too many productive, positive things, uh, too many really just smart people, frankly, that are just involved in this. Uh, it's a different generation. It's a different way of thinking. This case has been you know, racked with a lot of anger and bitterness and pain over the years and a lot of infighting and a lot of that stuff. And now we're starting to see those tides shift and people are starting to cross collaborate and share information. And that's how you solve these kinds of cases. You go into these things and you look at what's been done so far and you recognize that clearly that's not been working. So maybe we have to shift. And that's what's being done. And as someone that's in a position that I'm in, it's what I've been asking for for many, many years. I think this case doesn't change until we change the way we investigate it. And we're seeing it right now. We're living in it right now, which is pretty, pretty cool. Well, Chris Williamson, host of the Chasing Earhart podcast and author of Rabbit Hole, The Vanishing of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me anytime. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is back at the Pentagon and said he was outraged by the attack on American troops in Jordan over the weekend. Andy Field, ABC News correspondent in Washington, joins us with the latest. Uh, Just a horrific story and losing these three uh, members of the military. Yeah, it's the first time. Look, there have been, I I think, more than 160-some-odd attacks on U.S. personnel either in Iraq or Syria, at various bases where they're stationed since, uh, according to the Pentagon, the middle of October. These all began after the uh, Israeli war on Hamas uh, began, which was, of course, sparked by the Hamas attack and kidnappings and murders in Israel. So these have been basically in response to what's happening in Israel. We have been incredibly fortunate that there have been Uh, No deaths until just now. And we're now told by the Pentagon that the reason the U.S. didn't respond to this drone coming in was that they had sent out their own drone at one point, and they were confused, thinking that the drone coming back was their own drone and not uh, an enemy drone, which ended up killing three American service members. Wow. And how many other people were injured? Do we know? Uh, At least 40 other Americans injured. We don't know the extent of those injuries. Uh, They don't seem to be as serious as as some of the uh, others that we've seen. But a lot of these traumatic brain injuries, or TBIs as they call them, don't show up until quite some time Mm -hmm. later. So, look, this is a serious issue. One of the big questions uh, to Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, as well as other agencies are, is this now an expanded war? Are we going to be going to war with Iran? Certainly uh, two Republicans 
uh, Senators Wicker and, and Lindsey Graham, uh, both pretty hawkish, have uh, demanded that the U.S. strike Iran, which the president and cooler heads prevailing say, if we do that, we are beginning uh, what may be an endless war, and they're trying to avoid that. Yeah. Well, other than that, I mean, is there are there any other takeaways about what is planned, what's next? Uh, they haven't said other than we reserve the right to strike if and when we want, whenever we want. Remember, this is not Iran doing this directly. It is Iran funding various groups uh, throughout the Middle East that takes that money and then does the dirty work for Iran, which is one way that Iran has avoided uh, having un- all-out war unleashed on that country itself. Yeah. Well, it's just such a, a scary time. Yeah, Andy, do you have – I know you're covering both stories. Do you have any updates on the border? Um the, so the border negotiations. Yeah. yeah, this is boy, this is this is extraordinary because Republicans have complained for the better part of twenty years that Democrats are unwilling to do anything. The Democrats, including President Biden, have have basically said we will shut the border down if the surge numbers get to a certain point, which is what Republicans have been asking for. That is part of what's in this bill. I mean, there's a bunch of other things that I, I'm not privy to, but we'll find out soon enough. They are busy writing it up. Uh, it's likely to pass the Senate. It is very unlikely to pass the House of Representatives, in large part because Donald Trump is telling his Republican loyalists in the House, don't vote for this, not because it's going to make things better at the border, but because it's going to hurt his chances, he thinks, of getting elected next fall. It's an extraordinary statement, and it's extraordinary that Republicans in the House may actually go along with what the former president wants. And I think it's interesting that Donald Trump is saying, don't uh, sign this bill. And his challenger, Nikki Haley, is saying, don't leave Washington without signing it. Well, we've seen the polling, and Nikki Haley, while may she may be the voice of reason for a whole lot of Republicans, uh, is is not the voice that many Republican primary voters seem to be wanting to pick. Uh, she's come in third in Iowa, second in as the only last person standing against Donald Trump in New Hampshire, and made a pretty good showing against a former incumbent president, uh, getting almost 50% of the vote, but Donald Trump beating her by 11 points. Uh, we'll have to see what happens in South Carolina, whether she has any power left. If she doesn't do well in South Carolina, this could be very well the end of the road for her and the end of the primary season after just three uh, three contests. Yeah. Andy Field, ABC News correspondent in Washington. Thank you so much. Thanks. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Well, Heidi, as we head to the top of the hour, back in the day, on this date, January 29th, 1845, I know this is going to sting for some football fans, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven was first published on this date, the day after The Ravens lost the AFC Championship. In 1936, the first five players were elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Mm. Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Honus Wagner, Christy Mathewson, And Walter Johnson, I know three of the five. Rose Royce's car wash 
Hit number one on the charts on this date in 1977. It's a good song. And in 2009, on this date, Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich was impeached and removed from office for corruption. He was, though, uh, commuted his sentence in February of 2020 by then-President Donald Trump. So... All right. Coming up in the 4 o'clock, we've got our headlines, and then we'll be joined by the CEO of Confluence Academy. We'll also be joined by the head of school at Grand Center Arts Academy and one of their students to remind you just all the fantastic things they're doing at Confluence Academy. So I hope you'll hang out with us here on The Big Fight. You're listening to The Heidi Glass Show with Josh Gilbert. Headlines for this Monday afternoon, January 29th. Chiefs Kelsey sets NFL record for postseason receptions with big first half against the Ravens. With his seventh reception in the first half of Sunday's AFC Championship game against the Baltimore Ravens, Travis Kelsey brought his total in the playoffs to one 52 that broke the mark held by San Francisco 49ers Hall of Famer Jerry Rice, who had 151 catches in 29 games from 85 to 2004. By the way, this was Kelsey's 21st postseason game. Hmm. Boy, and we'll talk more with Brendan at 5:30 about the whole thing. But man, and Pat, Patrick Mahomes is just 28. Yeah. This is what is. Fourth, fifth. There Super were a couple Bowl. of really incredible plays. Mm. Mm. Can't wait. Two more weeks. Um, a Democrat from St. Louis and a Republican from St. Louis County have gotten together behind a plan that would exempt low income workers from that 1% earnings tax in the city. They are sponsoring identical proposals to excuse workers earning less than $22,590, that's 150% of the federal poverty level, from having to pay the tax. They say, we want it to be bipartisan. We're not trying to hurt the city, but we are trying to help the low-income people. Okay. So if, if they get this through, if you are in that threshold, you won't have to pay that 1% anymore. Heidi? You pay it. I know I do. Missouri Botanical Garden opens orchid show. The Missouri Botanical Garden is bringing its collection of hundreds of species of orchids into public view. It's one of my favorite shows. The show opened over the weekend and will be on display near the garden's entrance for around a month. It includes hundreds of flowers carefully curated by the garden staff. Regardless of how many times you attend, there will always be something new to see because they're constantly blooming at different times. The garden is also hosting after-hours events with tastings from local breweries and distilleries called Orchid Nights. The Orchid Show is included with the price of normal admission, which is $16 or 6 for St. Louis residents. The show runs until February 25th. I mean, some of these orchids are hundreds of years old. Really? Yeah. They have a special room that they care for these orchids throughout the year, and then they just bring them out for the rest of us to see once a year. But it's such a cool thing. And it might be an extra noisy summer as two cicada broods are expected to resurface. There's a brood 19, which is a 13-year brood, and brood 13, which is a 17-year cycle Do they sound the same? I don't know, but they're both emerging at the same time, I guess math being what it is. This hasn't happened since 18. 1809. Whoa. Which is the year that Napoleon, or I'm sorry, 1803, 
which is the same year Thomas Jefferson and Napoleon struck the Louisiana Purchase deal. So they're going to both come out every 221 years. Both broods come out, so it might be extra noisy. They say the northern brood uh, that comes out might not make it this far south to St. Louis. So we might not experience it. We might not experience an overlap, but other people are saying we will be on the fringe of both. So... Good luck. If you love the sound of cicadas at summer. I I don't mind it, but if it's going to be double, up, yeah, I, I don't remember know. It, there was one year where there was a, a maybe a double brood that came out. I'm driving down Highway 40 with my windows down, and they got these big walls and these big trees, and I could hear it plain as day yeah. while I'm doing 65 down 40. It was That was a noisy summer. It so. was a noisy summer. Well, I'm so excited because I told you earlier our friends from Confluence Academy were going to be here, but I didn't know that we were going to get a special performance from one of their students. That's coming up after a short break. Well, that is one of Grand Center Arts Academy students, Solomon Ahmed, playing a beautiful drum. You referred to the drum as she. Step in for me, Solomon, and and tell me, when did you start playing the drum? So I started playing, I started playing djembe 10, 10 years ago, and I started at Better From Left Incorporated. Now... When I started playing, it was a little hard and rocky at first, but as you continue, it gets really fun and energizing. And what kind of drum is this? This is a West African drum from Mali, the kingdom of Mali. Old Mali kingdom, people say, but it's present-day Mali now. So. And you will be participating in the Fox Performing Arts Charitable Foundation's Teen Talent Competition. Is this something that you've done in years past? Yes, I've done it for the past two years. Wow. My group, DWE. Drum Warriors, Drum Warriors Ensemble have been performing for them for the past two years, and we started a year before that. So, Well, congratulations, and we Thank look you. forward to hearing more. And I know uh, the CEO, Dr. Candace Carter-Oliver, and the head of school at Grand Center Arts Academy, Dr. Shane Hopper, have got to be so proud. But, I mean, Solomon is just one of so many of your talented students. Yes, absolutely. We're very proud of him and the many students that we have that have so many artistic, natural talents and abilities that we're able to just foster and, and really bridge and, and bring opportunity to them. So it's it's just so very rewarding. Before we get into that, what's new at Confluence right now? Yeah, well, we're excited about our Grand Center Arts Camp. We have a camp this summer that's actually going to run July 8th uh, through July 19th. Two exciting weeks, one week or two week, you know, families can choose. And it's an all-day experience, 9 to 3, and with breakfast and lunch provided, uh, an array of uh, just opportunities in the arts from professional industry, 
folks, talented teachers uh, that are able to come in and basically work with kids. And I want to make sure that people know that this is for kids in all school districts entering fifth grade all the way through senior year so they don't have to be a student at Grand Center Arts Academy. And uh, Dr. Hopper, I want your thoughts on, I mean, we live in a world now where a lot of schools are cutting back on the arts. And for me, I mean, the arts are so important. We're, we're full steam ahead. Uh, we know that art is uh, integral to a uh, student's uh, educational uh, course. And uh, even someone like Solomon here, like as he came in, uh, I remember seeing uh, his dad and Solomon in the lobby one day, interested in coming to the school. And I took one look at him. I knew he's one of ours. Yeah. Uh, you could just tell by uh, just his passion and his energy for uh, music and visual art. Uh, he makes his own jewelry. Uh, but he's just one student of many that we have like that at our school. And uh, we we have a strong belief in in our pathways, uh, our visual arts, our music, our theater, and our dance departments. Well, speaking of, I mean, you're learning, as you kind of mentioned, uh, Doctor, about all of the visual arts and the vocal and the music theater and dance. And these are from true professionals who they don't just teach it. They've lived it. Absolutely. There's there's a lot of research out here that really talks about the strong emphasis or the correlation between an arts education and academic achievement, uh, as well as children generally who have a, a strong interest in the arts or families. They typically come back and contribute to their local communities. And so Grandson Arts Academy is just truly a, a, a symbol of that. Um, and this summer where we're all Offering beginning, advanced strings, ballet, lyrical dance, stage acting, playwriting workshop, Whoa. ceramics, sculpture. That those are just a few of the opportunities that students get to have with talented industry professionals. Yeah, it's, it's only forty dollars. It's uh, a lot of camps nothing. are charging hundreds and up to if not thousands. Yes. And the this is the time of year where you got to sign up for summer camps, right? I mean, when is this going to fill up? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. This is that time. And so we that's why we're here is to really showcase and and share that this is an opportunity for families to choose. Um, and we do want them to get in quickly. So GrandsonArtsAcademy.org, there's an interest form there. You go online, you demonstrate your interest. As soon as that live link opens, registration, you'll get an email and a confirmation comes through. And again, for grades, Five through twelve across the St. Louis region, as many camps are open to 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 families. I would dare say that probably about eighty percent of the students we track for for our camp is actually non GCA students. Uh, that number actually goes down because we actually attract students to our school through our art camp because they come oh, see why not. Uh-huh. I was a camper and now I'm a student. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, why not? I mean, it is such a, a great thing. Do kids have to audition? Do they have to submit work to make it into the camp, or it's uh, you know, you just kind of sign up and you're in. We take all students wherever they're at uh, as far as their artistic abilities, and uh, we're trying to move them to where we'd like to see them. And, Dr. Hopper, where do you find – are these your typical teachers during the school year, or you go out and find educators for the camp in different places? Uh, a lot of our teachers during our camp in July are actually our current teachers on staff right now. Yeah, and it's a talented staff, I know. But I was kind of looking through some of the things. You've got musical theater and an improv workshop. You've got drawing with oil pastels. I mean, this is – I'm thinking maybe you guys should do this for adults. Uh, you're, you're both welcome anytime. We'll put you in a class this summer, and we'll put a brush in your hand. Well, I, I got a question. You know, you, you're you in the school every day, Dr. Hopper. Uh, Dr. Uh, Carter Oliver, you're probably there very often as well. 
we always joke that uh, Grand Center Arts Academy is like the school from fame, but it's not really a joke because it really is like that. You could walk by one room and uh, hear the West African drums, and then another room, someone's probably singing, and another room, someone's probably playing the piano. It's probably really cool just to hang out and, and be a part of this. We put most of our music classes in the basement. In the first <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just like being at your own house. You put the kiddos somewhere where it's probably not going to bother the rest the of the The detached garage is yeah. where Fit's going. But you hear a lot of talent. Uh, we have some really uh, amazing students. Uh, students are going to go m- much further than just high school with these artistic abilities. Well, I was going to say, can you share any stories about uh, former students who are now making a splash either on Broadway or TV or maybe in the art world? Uh, two that just popped in my head. We have a, a young lady who's uh, blowing up on the St. Louis uh, visual arts scene right now. Uh, she had a uh, exhibit at uh, Sylvie's Lounge. She had uh, a thing at the Clayton uh, Art Show or St. Louis Art Show in Clayton. Uh, she actually just uh, did a, a piece for us in our lobby. Uh, she did a couch that uh, everybody will see as they walk in. We have another student. He went to uh, Berkeley Music in Boston. He just put out his first album about two months ago at the Scott Joplin House. Wow. And it's all Americana music uh, that he uh, was performing. That's so got to be so cool to know that not only, and, you know, we talk about this all the time, that you're really creating leaders. But now, as you said, you've got this former student that is showing her art right here, but she hasn't forgotten St. Louis. Absolutely not. And when I crossed paths with her, I, I didn't know her because she actually graduated the year before I started uh, six years ago. But uh, uh, she was more than excited about the idea of coming back and helping the school in any way. Uh, the school's been in existence for 13 years, and, and honestly, we've had a lot of great things already happen in just sh- such a short period of time. Well, and you're right there, too, in the Grand Center Arts District. You've got the Fox Theater, and you, you've got the Symphony Orchestra. How do you work with those uh, entities? Uh, we've spent a lot of time over the last two years really working on our partnerships. Uh, and to be honest, our, our partners have been awesome. Uh, you mentioned the Symphony. Uh, last uh, semester, they offered tickets to some of our families uh, just to come out and check out shows because not all of our uh, kiddos and our families can afford uh, symphony tickets. So uh, last semester, they uh, gave four sets of tickets for 554 requests wow. uh, just to go watch symphony shows, and they did the same thing second semester. Maureen Byrne, if you happen to be listening, thank you very much. You've been awesome uh, working with our school community from the symphony. And it's under construction now. It's kind of come back bigger and better. I've seen the plans. It looks really cool. But Heidi hit exactly what I was thinking. You guys are right in the middle of it, of of the art scene down there. How long has Grand Center Arts Academy been around, and what was it before you guys moved in? Yeah, well, we've been around for about 13 years or so, and uh, it was intentional for us to be right there in the Grand Center Arts District, and it's done nothing but provide opportunity. So uh, we're just so very pleased. You mentioned the Symphony, the Fox Theater, Grandel. Uh, we, we work very closely with the Cranzburg Arts Foundation, uh, the Contemporary Art Museum, uh, the Center of Creative Arts, or COCA. Grand Center we, Inc. Grand yeah. Center Inc., the Muni, uh, and we could go on and on. And um, in terms of just the collaboration 
and the really interconnectedness that our instructors, our professional artists have in the arts community. Uh, so it's just been, it's a phenomenal place. It's a gym. I would invite anyone to come and tour. Oftentimes people say, I knew that was there and I've just never been inside. You know, wow, thank you. Uh, we have the Sun Theater. We put on a lot of different plays and art shows and community organizations come in and use our theater uh, for uh, different you know, opportunities. And just tell us again, uh, we've had you on quite a few times and Heidi and I have just peppered you with questions over and over again. But one more time, how do you qualify to get into Grand Center Arts Academy? Do you first and foremost have to live in the city? So we're a public school. So I want to Mm -hmm. begin by Grand Center Arts Academy is is a public charter school. Um, And so we have open enrollment, which means just come and and see us. And uh, there is an an application or an enrollment process, as there is with any and all schools. Uh, We do do what's called a demonstration for students. That helps us to just simply place students. If you think about it, whether you would be in dance one, two, three, or four, we need to know what you're already coming with. But again, we, we accept students with very little to no dance experience to very high volumes of of dance experience and and competition level type uh, uh, status. So um, we we're open to all of that, and we grow the children and, um, as they are with us. And, and going back to just the idea of being in Grand Center, you know, when Tina comes through, we have performers come over and actually do yeah. master classes with our students. Ain't too proud. The same thing, Hades Town. Just naming a few shows off the top of my head where. Uh, because of our connections with Fox or with uh, different folks coming through uh, with our teachers and, and all of our teachers in the pathways are, are professionals. You know, they've come from a dance background or they come from a theater background. So it's very helpful. And it also allows students to have an opportunity they wouldn't get just anywhere else. I was going to say it's one of the many things that you guys do so very well. And, of course, now is the time to register for the Confluence Academy's Grand Center Arts Camp, which runs from July 8th through the 19th. It's open to students from all districts entering 5th through 12th grade. You can choose one week or two, and there is that very small fee of $40 for class materials. Enroll today, GrandCenterArtsAcademy.org. Solomon, Dr. Candace carter Oliver and uh, Dr. Shane Hopper, thank you so much for joining us once again. Will you take us out? have our digital world expand and pen and paper seem to be replaced by screens and keyboards, even in classrooms. But a new study has investigated that our brain connections and handwriting actually have a positive thing. Handwriting strengthens our brain connection acts boost learning more than simply tapping a keyboard. And I know if I was trying to remember something, if I write it several times, it sticks with me more than if I simply type it into a computer a few times. And now there's proof of that. Um, 
They show that when writing by hand, brain connectivity patterns are far more elaborate than typewriting on a keyboard. This is a brain researcher at a Norwegian University of Science and Technology, and I guess one of the co-authors of this study published in Frontiers in Psychology. Such widespread brain connectivity is known to be crucial for memory formation and for encoding new information and therefore is beneficial for our learning. I 100% think that I remember better if I write it Mm -hmm. down. Write it out, write it down. Whether or not I look at it again, who knows? But I think the actual act of pen and paper writing something down helps me immensely. My uh, my top five and five had to do with handwriting. So I actually oh. thought Heidi had scooped me here, but it's it's different, oh. but related. But all so, about handwriting. Yeah. In school, in college, mm-hmm. I used to handwrite all of my term papers. You know, these are typed out five, six, seven pages. And then I'd go into the computer lab and type it all up. But then I tried to type one up. You know, on the spot without writing it without first. writing it down first, and I I realize, oh my gosh, this is this is so much quicker. <laughs> well, it's interesting because for years, I would handwrite my stories at Channel Five because I would bring them home instead of writing on a computer. If I was at the station, I would write it that way. But if I came home, I didn't want to log a, a computer. I didn't want to get it out, and I could see more clearly like the video instead of bringing up a second screen and writing it because you'd have to stop whatever video you're watching. And I would just hand write everything and then transcribe it to the computer. And you're right. After years of doing that, I did realize it was faster just to type as you go. And then, of course, I couldn't read my own handwriting at times. I'm like, what is that word I was trying to write? All right. Do you have good penmanship? Not anymore. I thought I used to have fantastic penmanship, and now I look at it, and I guess I'm just trying, you know, to go so quickly. And I don't do it as often. And so I think it's just I've gotten lazy. Um, Connor sometimes writes the names and numbers down for Darren winners, uh-huh. and I sometimes have to ask him if that's a seven or a four. I know mine is not great, although I kind of blame how I learned it. I kind of like learned half cursive, half regular. Oh, yeah. hybrid, so it yeah. kind of like blends together. And That's what mine does now. Illegible. Somebody said in the same vein, emails have much less impact than a written note. Um, yeah, you know, it's like, uh, should I send you a thank you email? That's, nope. Or should I send you a thank you note for the parents of the crowd? Eight four one two six Woods Basement Systems text line. Are they teaching handwriting in schools? I well, mean, we hear this handwriting whole, or cursive. We hear the whole cursive thing, but you know, and when did handwriting stop? I remember doing it in kindergarten, but I think by third grade it had been you know phased out. Mm-hmm. But I base my handwriting off my sister's because she has really good handwriting, and yeah. it is print. I don't. I rarely use cursive. Cursive seems to be faster than print just because you never take the pen off the off paper. The page. Yeah. But I don't know. I think if I looked at someone's curse, cur- fully cursive written note, mm-hmm. I might have trouble reading it. it. Well, I mean, if you go back, if you go to the 
Missouri History Museum and you take in some of those fantastic exhibits, sometimes it shows handwritten correspondence and you it takes you a second. Can you show me right now on that paper in front of you? Mm-hmm. What a capital Q looks like in cursive. Oh. It just looks like a regular Q. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah, it it does. looks like a two almost. It looks like a two. What? Yeah. It looks like yes. a two. Yeah. Google it. Uh, the G is funny. I know that last name, Gilbert. The G is weird. Yeah. 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 Okay. There you go. But it's glass, so that one you kind of oh, remember yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. You yeah. knew that. You knew that already. But, yeah, the, the Q is almost like a two. It's like a two. All right. Hold on. I learned it this way where you kind of finish the circle. And it just ends up looking like a Q. No, that's, no, that's, that's, that's not, what they taught us. That's uh, not pure that's what cursive. They, that's no. pure. That's, no, no, that's not. what they. By by my time, that's what they were teaching. So but the two. That's style kind of the argument here is they are not teaching cursive quite as much as they. Well, used right. to. wait until the five o'clock, Heidi. I got. Okay. Oh, I got, got a whole I, I know which story, story you're talking yeah. about. I'm looking forward to it. Somebody said, and now no one can read the U.S. Constitution, which is probably correct. Yeah, we're going to have to get experts to come in and just translate the what that English. Look like. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. My grandma used to type out though letters when I was in college. She would sign her name, but she would I guess because she probably thought I couldn't read her handwriting, but I would always, I would look so forward to getting her letters was it in the mail. Was it double spaced or was it it was double spaced, I think. Single spaced. Maybe it was single spaced for the letter. Yeah. Because that's a whole new thing too. And you mean type out like on a typewriter? Yeah, on a typewriter. Wow. Yeah. And this was just twenty short years ago. Mm. Well, maybe thirty. Thirty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, t- they're 30. making a comeback, Josh. The typewriters. Typewriters. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. yeah. Tell I, me when I you. I would like to type on one. I think I would like it. Yeah, it says the guy who bought records but doesn't own a record player. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I thought about buying a non-functional typewriter uh, a few weeks back at the uh, the vintage store when well, they had one. Don't take it to that typewriter repair shop because it's closed. Exactly. Well, I don't know what you guys are doing, but we're all now trying to test ourselves and see if we remember how to make capital cursive letters. I wrote a whole sentence here, and does this look nice? Is this it, nice? It should looks I, really nice. Should I write in cursive full-time now? I'm actually impressed by your cursive handwriting. I think it looks nice partially because it took you like three minutes to write. It did. So it, instead of just scribbling it in ten seconds, you really put your time I labored nice. over this. Yeah. It would take me <laughs> hours just to <laughs> yeah. write a paragraph. It's too funny. Oh, my goodness. Did you see this crazy story? And it's a, a good reminder if you have kids. A man was caught kidnapping a 13-year-old girl. But the reason they were able to catch him is she held up a sign saying, help me from the back seat of a car. This happened in... Uh, well, the guy was from Texas, 62 years old. He uh, pleaded guilty last week, according to the statement. But um, she was in the car, and I don't know how she was able to grab, you know, pen and, pen and paper. paper. But it was three days into this ordeal, and someone just simply walking by saw her sign in a parked car. And then this good Samaritan... Uh, which, you know, I, I guess it brings up the question, would you call somebody or would you just kind of keep walking? 
Oh, if, if you, you saw see that. that. Like, were they in the car? Were they parked somewhere and there was a note that said? No, she was in the car. And according to police, the girl also mouthed the words, help, help me, me oh to this person passing side. I guess the man who had kidnapped her was inside a laundromat. And she later revealed that the suspect told her that he was going to hurt her if she didn't do what he said. How old was the, was 13. the girl? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, isn't there like a, like a hand signal, like there's supposed to be some sort of universal hand signal that people are supposed to give that I'm, yeah, but I don't know that anybody knows it enough, right? Like I know that it exists, but if I don't know what it is, then it's not, you know, it's worthless. Well, but. I think the moral of this story and what it says in this article that I found was this incident highlights just the critical role that we all play community members play in keeping people safe what was that famous story Kew gardens in new york they always did it in psychology class a woman was getting murdered in the middle of a crowded brooklyn neighborhood or harlem neighborhood and nobody like hundreds of people heard this and nobody did, did a anything. thing is it that we live in this world where we're so enthralled with what people are doing on Facebook or fake book, but then when you're actually out living it and feeling it, you turn the other way because you don't want to interfere? Yeah, I don't want to get involved. Yeah, you and know. it's not really my place, but there are certain instances like this where you could be saving someone's life. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, it's very very scary. All right, hopefully traffic is not scary for folks this afternoon. Hopefully the commute is just going along as smooth as possible. But let's check in with Captain Paul Kopsky and see if that's the case. Okay, thanks, Heidi. A two-vehicle crash on southbound 55 at Bayless. That adds to the usual congestion on 55 south from Carondelet to Revis Barracks. 270 south is running clear from Page down past Manchester. There's a slowdown on 64 west at Forest Park. And a stalled vehicle on the westbound 64 exit to Hanley is blocking the right lane. This traffic report is brought to you by Total Seal STL. Do you have cracks in leaks in your air ducts at home costing you money? You need TotalSealSTL.com. TotalSealSTL.com will make your air ducts more energy efficient, clean, and comfortable. Call 314-673-2020 for an at-home consultation. 314-673-2020. From the KTRS Traffic Center, I'm Captain Paul Kopsky on the Big 550 KTRS. We talked about... uh Grand Center Arts Academy. We're so lucky to have that. We're also lucky to have SSM Health, Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital because it is just, it's a special place. Not just are they healing children, but what Cardinal Glennon does is just kind of wraps its arms around the entire family. And I think I told you last week, it was so cool. I got this picture of my godchild who was at Cardinal Glennon for nine weeks the first nine weeks of her life. And her mom has stayed in touch with one of the nurses there throughout all of this. And they met in the middle from Jackson to St. Louis. And this nurse, you know, came. I mean, that's how special these people are. And it's not just the doctors and nurses. It's the, you know, people changing the sheets and taking out the trash. I know that, you know, 
Brooke shared a story about a, someone in the custodial department kind of saying, hey, can I share a prayer with you? I mean, it is just an awful special place, and they never turn a kid away. They never say, no, this kid can't have that needed therapy because insurance doesn't pay for it. And the way that they can do that is because of SSM Health Cardinal Glenn and Children's Foundation that was founded kind of from the very beginning to make sure that no kid was turned away. And there is an easy way. You don't just have to get out your checkbook, though. They're not going to turn you down for that. But there are other ways that you can participate. One of them is Glennon Live, which is a fantastic event that they started last year. And this year it's going to be with Zach Brown Band. But not only do you get this live concert, it's also a night that is kind of a one of a kind entertainment experience that celebrates patients and families and caregivers of Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. And then, oh, by the way, you get to take in this fantastic concert. That's happening Saturday, April 6th at Chaffetz Arena. There's just a few tickets still available, but you can learn more at glennon.org slash live. Somebody pointed out, Connor, that the only problem with a typewriter is there's no autocorrect. And then somebody else is saying that you learned slursive, not cursive, <laughs> which is kind I, of I just think uh, I think by my time in school, they had changed the cue, clearly, to make it a little bit better. And frankly, you know, this is my whole thing about uh, when something is confusing or whatever, uh, the Kelsey's versus the Kelses. Mm-hmm. You know, if everyone's going to call you that, just change your name. <laughs> Lillian. And if something looks like a two, you know what? How about we fix it so it looks like a Q? Mm-hmm. Agreed? Agreed. Because well, even with the old way, all you need to do is kind of circle it in finish, a little bit more. Finish the yeah. circle. Yeah. That's interesting. Speaking of, there's a list of some social norms that people are sick of, and I would love your opinion on the Woods Basement Systems Text line 84126, uh, kind of the, just the blatant spreading of misinformation, especially if people know better and they're just saying it anyway, and they're supposed to be trustworthy or... I call that being disingenuous, and you see politicians doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, case in point, that attorney general who was on McGraw show... <laughs> Who said that? Who knows what a gambling machine is? Maybe, maybe a claw machine could be a gambling machine. We just don't know. I'm like, yes, we do. We do know the claw machine to win the stuffed animal it's is not, not a slot machine. Yeah, we know that. So I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I hate people being purposefully disingenuous. Yeah, people simply having an opinion about everything and expecting everyone else. To as well. Sometimes I just don't care. You know, I don't. Not that I don't care about your opinion. I don't care about whatever the what topic is. You're is. talking about. Yeah. Any type of political view becoming your whole identity. I'm. I'm all about. Have I ever told you this? I was at a, a party a couple of years ago, and I was having a a great time talking to this guy. He's a new guy. We love had the same taste in music. All this stuff. And then, you know, two hours into the party, uh, politics came up uh, and Trump came up. and It ended everything? It was a screaming match. I was like, this guy was so great for two hours. And then this one subject comes up 
and now we can't stand each other. I, I, right then and there, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, just kind of leave it at home. Uh, hustle culture, pushing yourselves into an unhealthy lifestyle just to try to do more than everyone else. I've never heard it called that, though, the hustle culture. Uh, the normalization, and I agree with this, of unsafe driving. That there's just no rules to the road anymore. Weaving in and out, we talk about all the time, flying around cars. Does this happen in every city? I think so. Because I, I mean, I saw it today just on my way into work, somebody crossing four lanes doing 75. It's crazy. Hmm. And I'll tell you, it's really silly if you pull in front of my RV and do that. Because I can't stop quite like that. Monetizing and quantifying everything, even hobbies, basically not doing anything just because you enjoy it, but because it's a, a way of earning money from stuff, which, yeah, just do something because you love it and joy and not mm-hmm. valuing changing one's mind. We're able to listen to another person and say, you know what, I, I hear what you're saying and I think I can come around to that. It's okay to change your mind instead of just sticking to your beliefs and being consistent even over those long periods of time because we all evolve, or hopefully we do. And so that situation that you looked at 10 years ago, maybe something else has happened in your life now that you can go, you know what, I don't see it the same way as I used to. I think it's a great quality for someone who could admit that they've changed their mind. Mm -hmm. I do too. About something. It's a big deal. Well, lots of people calling it a day, but we've got more to talk about. We've got the top five at five. We're going to talk to Brendan Weesey, KTR Sports Director. The Super Bowl is set. The Blues are hot. We've got all that coming up. We'll also talk a little entertainment news. And then, and only then, will we wrap this show up with some random. So I hope you'll hang out with us for another hour here on the Big 550 KTRS. And now for the top five at five news from around the room. Can I jump in? Because I know there's some people out there that aren't into football, but I have a way that maybe will make it more enjoyable. As a matter of fact, yesterday we had really brunch. It was more lunch with Kelly Jackson. I said, hey, you want to come hang out with us at Billy's and watch football? She said, I would rather stick this fork in my eye. Oh, Kelly! Ah, Kelly. So, this, though, might make it more fun. A woman, a wife, made a hilarious football bingo card for her husband. So, instead of actually, like, watching the game, she's done this whole thing. She's from Frisco. She's been married to her husband for nearly seven years. He was born and raised in Texas, so he's been a Cowboy fan his entire life. And... She's learned to also love them, but she's a kindergarten teacher, and this is what cool elementary teachers always do. And uh, since she wasn't that much of a football fan, when she and her husband met, you know, she started watching but wasn't, you know, too into it. She said her husband was superstitious, wearing the same homemade Cowboys shorts and slippers every single game. And 
has the same reaction for certain things that go through. So this NFL season, she created a bingo card to add a level of fun and humor to her own football this watching is just for her experience. own edification. Yes. She's the only one filling yep. the card out. Like, instead of numbers, yeah, I want to hear this. She has homemade bingo card features, one of her husband's football watching habits in which in each square, from slapping his knee, being a little nervous to covering his face, to asking why mm-hmm. to high-fiving. She thought, said she just thought it would be funny to show the hilarious things he does and show how well I know him and all of his particular things. So it's kind of her own game against herself. Can I win bingo at this? Um, one of the squares, quiet clap. Uh, that was an addition to her husband's football watching habits after they had a child. Oh, yes. He, he couldn't just completely scream well, was, at the TV. I was thinking, what's quiet clap? Yeah. Oh, I know uh-huh. what quiet clap Now is. you know. Um, so she shared her bingo card on social media, and now it's been seen 26 million times. She said as the season has progressed, more and more people have tagged her in videos showing them recreating their own bingo cards, which has been fun watching everybody do it. I wonder what would be on the Josh bingo card, I wonder. What, mm, what's, what, on, what's on the Heidi bingo card that Marsha makes up? What there's probably a, a standing up, like a kind of the Arsenio Hall. Ooh, 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 yeah. Ooh, ooh. When they, you know, <laughs> there's probably the screaming of no one or two times. Um, I think I'm I'm a bit more passive as a viewer. Oh. Uh, than, no, there's a lot of screaming in our die house. Hards. There was a guy that would come into the wine bar all the time uh, while we were working. He would yell at the television mm-hmm. in front of a full bar. You know, oh, that's don't. How do you do that? You know, just like who? Who is he yelling at? Yeah, oh, he's yelling at the TV again. Mm-hmm. Um. So I know they're out there, but I think I'm more of a passive viewer. There was a lot of standing up screaming at Billy's on Broadway yesterday. And we that that's what's so fun about watching a game in a place like that instead of just your home. I mean, we're high-fiving the guys beside us. You get to know them a little bit. You know, the guys over at the bar start to weigh in on what they think. And it, it, it was fun. I do. I found I did this a lot. I did it three times yesterday for the both games. I did this. <gasps> Oh, yeah. <gasps> and uh-huh. and then, you know, yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm, that would be on my bingo card. Yeah. Big time. I saw a story today of, this is video on the news, two people riding on the, on the car, not by their choosing. Oh, not like some. Not like some teen. Surfing, which yes. looks ridiculous and dumb. But because they were getting run over at the time, the one guy uh, was going to sell his Rolex and had someone stranger come over to his house and the guys took the watch and ran off. And when the guy was trying to get it back, stepped in front of the car and, you know, took off with the guy on the hood. Never going to end well. No, I mean, they already got you for theft. You want to be on the hook for Mm -mm. murder? Manslaughter, attempted, uh, assault with a car, whatever, whatever that would be. But there's one coming out of L.A. 
where a woman was having lunch outside of a Whole Foods in downtown Los Angeles. This is a week or so ago, January 18th, 2.30 p.m. And she noticed her dog kind of walked off. Walked off? Well, apparently there was a woman there that was motioning the dog over to her. And uh, this woman, her name is Ali, she said, uh, I look up and there's a woman holding my dog. Then she gets into a car behind her. The first thing that went through her head was that there must be some sort of misunderstanding. Because clearly this woman is stealing my dog. Clearly someone's not stealing my dog. So she went after the woman. And the last thing that she could do was to stand in front of the car. But that wasn't stopping them. They drove into her and she said she grabbed onto the window wipers and held on for dear life. They were swerving to throw me off, she said, and it eventually worked. She was thrown from the hood a few blocks away. She held on for a few blocks. The video that you can see on the news and online, I'm sure, this car is really moving with her on the hood of it. And you can see her right here. She suffered cuts and bruises, and uh, they asked to take her to the hospital, and she said no. Did she get her dog back? No. The dog is still missing. His name is Onyx. He's a little more than one year old. Heidi, why don't you go ahead and guess what kind of dog it French was. bulldog. French bulldog. I don't, number one, I don't get it because I don't think they're that cute. But last year, the French bulldog was named America's most popular dog breed. Of the dogs that were registered last year, about one in seven were Frenchies. One in seven were French bulldogs out of all the dogs in the United States. So here's the breakdown. Number one, French Bulldogs. Okay. Number two, the one that has been the number one dog in America for as long as anyone can remember. What is the second most popular dog breed? Labrador. Labrador Retriever. Number three, Golden Retriever. Number four, German Shepherds. Number five, Poodles. Nobody ever knows what Georgie is. She's a Havanese. It kind of looks like a Maltese. She's in that fluffy, but yeah, not I a mean, super popular breed. The rest of the list, Bulldogs, Rots, Beagles, Dachshunds, Short Hair Pointers, the toy dogs mm-hmm. like yours, the Neezes, the Maltese, Havanese, the Shih Tzus, the, not on the list, not even the top ten. So Probably because they're a little bit yappy. They like to talk. Man, Well, the Beagle likes to howl. Well, that's true. So. Uh, we have talked about this on Animal Talk on Sundays. Sundays at 1. And no, at 2. 2. Sorry. And uh, the Golden Doodle is mm. probably more popular than all of those, but it's not a recognized breed. It oh, isn't. Oh, so it doesn't count. So it doesn't count. They don't show up on any lists. When will they become a it's just recognized up, breed? It's just uh, up to whenever the American Kennel Club decides that. Now it is. My brother and his wife just got a second dog last year, and it was their second golden doodle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're supposed to be there smart. They are, but they are big. They can be big. They are big. Uh, all right. I said my stories about Curse, and it is. Uh, in 2010, if you, you might recall, that uh, – the national requirements, Common Core education, stopped requiring states teach cursive to kids. Okay. That's when it happened, 2010. Okay. 
That's a long time ago. Since then, some schools have, or some states rather, have started putting it back in, requiring states and or schools in their state to do it. California just started it this year. They voted on it last year. It's starting this year, and they say that kids like it. They like learning cursive. There's a uh, story in here about the kids going and seeing the Constitution. How about that? Didn't the oh, texter mention it? Saying, yes. It's in cursive. I can read it now that it's in cursive. Some people just like that it's fancy, they said. The kids like that they can read their parents' handwriting, some of them have said. The teachers say that, uh, you know, it's good that we're teaching this again. That's been the big push from teachers, actually, to get states to start teaching it again. And you might have the question, if Missouri does it, no, they have put the bill forward every year for the last five years. And it hasn't passed? And it, it never goes anywhere. It's in there again this year, so maybe... This year will be the year Illinois does it. It's one of 24 states that now require cursive again. So maybe it's making a comeback. The handwriting, the cursive handwriting will make a comeback. Is is the cursive, non-cursive issue, is this is this a, a Democrat-Republican thing? Is this a bipartisan so, thing? I looked up the states. It's all, it's a big mix. I mean, I'm 24, you're going to get, you know, a mix. You're not only going to hit one kind of state. Uh, and they also mentioned all the stuff Heidi said about how it helps, you know, brain uh, connections and thinking and all that. So that's the push, mainly from teachers, to get people to learn hmm. cursive again. I'm looking at a copy of the Constitution right now, and sure enough, it is written in cursive. But I think it's – when the issue came up, I was like, uh, who cares? Um, because I don't use cursive anymore. I, I'm a I'm a print guy myself. Well – this person brings up a good question. How do you sign a check? They don't write checks, I guess. Yeah, is, one of the things they, my, they mention is that yeah. they like knowing, uh, having a signature. Mm-hmm. Is my, it, are signatures cursive? Well, mine Inherently? Is. No, it, no. Are they not? I've seen people, no. I, well, I've what seen if it says, that. print your name, mm-hmm. sign your name well, on if, the piece of paper? You it make it a little fancier, but you don't, it's not <laughs> cursive, not real, right? Real fancy-like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I definitely don't use the cursive G, uh, but my signature. Now see, is I a do little, use the cursive G. The cursive G is cool. I think so too. Well, I hate it. <laughs> I use the cursive H and the cursive G. You do? Uh huh. Um, I think and I like the cursive little E. The little E cursive. Mm-hmm. The little E. It's just a, a loop. Yeah. A loop. I just like it. Uh, um, the kids in the story mentioned that the letter Z is the hardest, hardest one, one for them. So Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like a jagged. Yeah. It's a little different than the regular um, Z. It's kind of like a G, little G. Little G. But the G is closed. I like the idea of teaching cursive because it is a handwriting class. Mm-hmm. And it is teaching people penmanship. Um, but do we use it in our lives? I don't know. I think we should do the poll of the day, the unscientific KTRS poll of the day. Do you still use cursive in any form or fashion? Let us know on the Woods Basement Systems text line, 84126. Here's a uh, story, and the headline is kind of decisive and kind of also, um, I'm going to say, it misleading. Woman divorces man after his traumatic brain injury. Then the subtitle, now her new husband helps her care for him, which is just, she said, I love him. He's very much a part of our family. 
he sustained a traumatic brain injury in 2008. And I guess the two were up front when they first met. And the the new husband. husband. Yeah, and she and her ex-husband, Brandon, who sustained this traumatic bra- brain injury that he now needs round-the-clock care. So the new husband, James, says she was honest from the start. It was either accept or don't accept my ex-husband. Now, she knew she would never abandon her first love, but she also wanted the family she dreamed of having one day. So often when people have really heartbreaking things happen, resilience comes in to find meaning. There's a lot of beauty in how our family works. It's wonderful and there's grace, but there's also been a lot of sadness and grief. So I guess the two were first married when they were just 21. They're Texas high school sweethearts. They met when they were 16 and 15. And she says of her first love, Brandon, he was just a gem of a human. Their future was shattered just two years later when he was T-boned by a moving truck in this crazy, horrific accident. She said it was like living a nightmare. There would be a moment when I would wake up in the morning and forget, and then it would all come back. After the crash, the extent of his injuries left Chris unable to fully communicate with her husband. You know, she could talk to him, but couldn't discuss complex thoughts or issues. Doctors said they didn't know what his future would look like. Of course, they told me that he had a severe brain injury and would be affected his whole life, but I didn't know what that would be. And she said the unknown was what was particularly terrifying. She stayed by his side as he recovered, changed her career to become a speech pathologist. Mm. But after a few years, she realized he wasn't going to have a recovery where they could have the partnership they always dreamed of. But she knew she loved him just the same, wanted to take care of him, and wanted him to be in her life. So because of the financial pressures, she couldn't overcome, you know, as well as her own desire to have kids. She made the painful decision two years later then in 2010 to divorce him and become his legal guardian. She said it's complicated to become someone's legal guardian and be divorced. And she remembers the judge asking what would happen if I had a family change and I was not committed to caring for him. And later she met James. After talking for a few weeks, she knew that it was time that the two meet. And so she introduced the two. And then the new couple married on September 5th, 2015, and went on to welcome their first uh, two daughters a few years later. I just think, I mean, she says that James has 100% love of Brandon, has cared for him, been kind to him, and kind of calls him his brother. I just, that is a huge responsibility for both people. Just that it was something to share in this world where, you know, Maybe love is lacking in certain places. Here's this couple and a stranger, a new husband, taking care of this woman's ex-husband. I know after those injuries that your whole personality can change. Uh, and no fault of your own, you might become more violent just because the connections yeah. aren't firing there. 
So I, you know, I sympathize with this woman. And, you know, if someone loves her like the new husband does, it's up to him how much he wants to take on. Yeah. And I think I think it's a great story. Uh, and I feel I feel bad for the guy with the brain injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's nothing he could do about that. I feel bad for the wife that has to admit to letting go. Uh, but I'm. I'm inspired by the new husband. Yeah, for being able to overcome that, and not a lot of men can share sharing share their wife mm-hmm. with with the ex. Uh, very specific case, though. Uh, all right, and really quickly, a skier in Tahoe. I guess it was late at night. She wanted to do one more run, and as <sighs> she's coming back down the mountain in the gondola, it stops. I saw this, and it's awful. She is from, her name is Monica. She's from Chile. She didn't have her cell phone on her. And no one could hear her yelling for help because luckily, but maybe unfortunately, but fortunately, it was a closed gondola. So no one could hear her screaming from up there. She actually lost her voice. Trying. Trying to scream for help. She was stuck overnight in the freezing cold weather inside closed air gondola for 15 hours. Oh, that sounds awful. Now, her friends reported her missing, but employees only found her when they went back into work the next day. They turned the gondolas back on. And can you imagine? Mm-mm. Oh, what'd you do last night? Oh, man, I stayed up way too late. You know, and then this woman pours out of this thing. Oh, my God. I've been struck for 15 uh, hours. Does anyone have any food? I was going to say, hopefully she had a snack or something with her, maybe a bottle of water. I, I mean, surely she fell asleep, right? It I don't know. Say. It's so cold. Could you sleep? I what know. was the temperature? Well, it was freezing, but it was it was enclosed. So I guess just being stuck in a car for that long, it there would was still a movie be pretty like cold. This. It's called Frozen. Yeah. Uh it uh, did not have as good of an ending oh. as this. Let's Gosh. put it that way. It's not a uh, happy ending kind mm. of movie. But I, what would be the worst part? And it, the the one cold. Of the, one of the headlines I saw was, woman stuck in gondola keeps herself warm by rubbing her hands together. Of course she did. What else can what you else do? What else would she have done? But I think the worst part would be getting hungry in there. You do? Mm-hmm. Oh, the cold. Yeah. No, fifteen hours of that food, I'd be pretty mm. I'd be pretty hungry. Got lots of people weighing in on cursive. It's important to helping prevent dementia. Somebody said I'm left handed and only write my signature in cursive because and I think most of us would agree in cursive your hand, it goes right over what you have just written. When you're left handed. Yeah, so I print everything. Census records, online or in cursive, my grandson couldn't read it. He's twenty five. Oh that's it can yeah. be hard to read. Um, I'll just say. I use cursive and expect my middle schoolers to use it. During the year, I receive a lot of grief, but the appreciation comes years later. Absolutely use cursive often. And, yes, I 100% support teaching cursive. I I don't do a hybrid of cursive, uh, but I know a lot of people do. If you're never taught cursive, though, you can't even do <laughs> the hybrid. Right. Even. I'd be curious to see what this 25-year-old grandson has what his looks penmanship like. looks like. Yeah. Cursive writing is a must know. I use it daily. So continue with those uh, texts on the and Woods Basement look, Systems text line. Everything that gets taught in school is meant 
to be used later in life. Some right. some things are just to make us better overall people. That's a great point. The Super Bowl is set. Chiefs versus the 49ers. What does KTS Sports Director Brendan Weezy think? Well, I'm, I'm more interested in what uh, Josh with his pick of the century coming up here in a week. Truly have no idea. I said I thought the Ravens were going to win by 20, but you never bet against Patrick Mahomes. And you Did know, you bet against him? Uh, no. <laughs> no, okay. I, I took the over, and that didn't hit. You know, go figure. But I truly do not know what's going to happen in this game. But again, never bet against Patrick Mahomes. Or the, or the Chiefs, for that matter, as long as they're coached by Andy Reid and, and what they've been able to do for the last several years. it. To me, one of the most remarkable sports accomplishments in the last 25 years, every single Patrick Mahomes team that he he started on for the Chiefs made it to the conference championship. Mm -hmm. So he's either gone to the AFC championship, lost, gone to the Super Bowl, lost, or won it all. That's it. He doesn't know not making the playoffs. He doesn't know not winning a playoff game. I mean, just imagine whenever, assuming that will happen to him at some point in his career, but it hasn't happened yet. And uh, what the Chiefs have been able to do is uh, is nothing short of remarkable. And uh, here they are again. Yeah, in, in a game where they're the the spread will. Possibly come down to a pick 'em. I mean, right now it's about one, one and a half. It's fluctuated. I think it was at three. It was at a field goal, and it moved a little closer. Yeah, having have at it. It's um, it should be a great game. And should everyone be healthy at that point? I don't know about that. Uh, that that um, that'll be debatable. I think you know the Chiefs had uh, some injuries on. on I think the defensive backfield, but they had an injury on the offensive line yeah. as well that was significant. They're able to weather that storm to a certain extent, although they didn't run the ball particularly well. You know, Pacheco had the one touchdown, but they held to less than three yards per carry. So they get Thune back on that offensive line. That um, that would be a big boost. I mean, I'll, I'll we'll talk to Martin about this later tonight. It seemed like everyone, everyone was on the Ravens. Every, not only did they think Baltimore was going to win that game, mm-hmm. they thought Baltimore was going to win big. And it, it was it was nothing close. I, I think, I mean, even the 49ers, 49ers, quite honestly, the other the number one seed, they had no business winning that game yesterday. Yeah. Detroit <laughs> really let it slip away and... I mean, the top two teams in the in in football, quite honestly, kind of fraudulent. I mean, for me, if I if you know, hopefully a good game here in a couple of weeks, but if you were to if you were to say make a pick, got to make a pick right now, I'd say the Chiefs. Facebook has this thing where they remind you of things that you've posted, Uh-oh. and there was a reminder from four years ago where I had posted uh, about the the Kansas City logo when Lamar Hunt moved the team to Kansas City. He did an interlocking KC logo because he liked how good it looks in San Francisco. San Francisco 49ers have an interlocking S and F. And I posted that up because those two teams were playing in the Super Bowl. And here we are again. Four years ago. Right. What else was happening four years ago? Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, just a little pandemic. Little yeah, no, this was, that, was right, that was right before the pandemic hit. 
Right before it hit, the I mean, there Chiefs was at least one, and then talk about it. everything got canceled a month later. Right, right. I mean, that was the it was the last major professional sports league to end their season because everyone else had to either not start it like baseball or put it on three month, four month hold. If you were the NHL, the NBA, the PGA Tour, uh, anybody and everyone, the the XFL, which which oh, said we're just going to fold up. Yeah. Uh, and, We're just going to sell and, the and, rock, right, right? Right, and that turned out to be one of their one of their better moves. So, yeah, hopefully we don't have a repeat performance of four years ago in that oh, regard. No but um, yeah, the, it's it's just it's remarkable to see where the Chiefs are at and and yeah, how good they've been. Just really quickly, run. you don't have to weigh in. I just want to point out the fact that everyone says the Chiefs don't have receivers and how can they win if they have no one to throw to. They won last year, and they had no receivers. So, you know, I think the money – I'm putting the money on Heidi's team. <laughs> and they've put the money in, in – uh, and they've spent wisely as the – clearly they, they are not anywhere near the dynamic team in the receiving game like they were. I mean, you can't lose Tyreek Hill and, and say you're going to be faster and more athletic and make bigger plays downfield. Not going to happen. But they have spent the money on their defense. Their defense has turned into one of the best in the NFL. Uh, Ravens had one of the better defenses. San Francisco has a good defense. It's, it feels like we're in uh, another shift in the sport to where there are fewer dynamic quarterbacks and better defenses. Again, I'm not sure that's necessarily good for television viewers, although say that to all the people that watch this game. Highest yesterday's San Francisco-Detroit game, highest rated non-Super Bowl of any television event since 2012. Gosh, it's just crazy how many people just, are watching. They are destroying television ratings on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. and it's a wrecking ball. They, they cannot be stopped. Okay, well, uh, speaking of, the Blues are pretty darn hot right now. Five in a row. If you're looking to pick a score, I would suggest four to three <laughs> because they've won their last four by that score. Three of them in overtime. Uh they're getting luckier. They're getting more fortuitous bounces, which helps. Uh, obviously, you're not going to score as many shorthanded goals as they have or uh, just have uh, certain things go their way. Winning in overtime certainly helps. But, hey, a win is a win, and uh, they've found a way to, to, to chart a path that is best for them, and they've gotten good production out of uh, younger players like Jake Neighbors, I think Braden Shen has been on a great run here as of late. So hey, it's fun to have the Blues in this in the discussion for a playoff, and even if you know, even if it's a short stay in the playoffs, or even if they get bounced on the last day. Last season stunk because it was over in February. You pull the plug, and the season's over. You've got two more months, and there's nothing. There's nothing to do. root for or have any interest in. Mm-hmm. If if. They're in the last week of the season with a chance to make the playoffs. I'd say that's a win with everything that's been going on and 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 the the firing of of Craig Berube and and the understanding that you're still a, a year or two away from really contending for the cup. If you're in it at the end, I think that counts for something. What's coming up tonight? We've got Martin at six o'clock. Trey Wingo will be along oh, talking be some fun. NFL playoffs. We will have Tiger Talk with Dennis Gates at seven, talk some Mizzou hoops in the Valley and the Big Five Fifty at eight as we're counting down, getting a little closer to Arch Madness will be just a uh, about a month and a half away. And uh that tournament is gonna continue to be in St. Louis Locked until in what? through twenty twenty eight. And they've got an option to keep it here through twenty thirty. So big deal. Big, big deal. 
deal, no doubt about it. Made that announcement last week. Arch Madness sticking around where it belongs here in St. Louis. And this is the 30th anniversary coming up on Arch Madness at the Enterprise Center. So big deal. And, uh, yeah, we're thrilled to be their uh, radio partner here in St. Louis. All right. We'll be listening tonight. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you, Josh. Let's talk a little entertainment news. Jay Leno has filed for a conservatorship over his wife, Mavis, because she's battling dementia. There'll be a hearing on April 9th. Legal papers say that Mavis has been, quote, progressively losing capacity and orientation to space and time for several years. And they add that Jay is, quote, fully capable of continuing his support for Mavis's physical and financial needs as he has throughout their marriage. They met in the 70s after he performed at the Comedy Store in L.A. They got married in 80. She's 77, he's 73, and they never had kids. So I hate that headline, but thought I'd share. This is interesting. Bryce Dallas Howard, of course, the daughter of Ron Howard, is giving fans of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, that 2000 movie, some insight. So Jim Carrey, I guess was constantly talking about what a grind it was to sit in that chair for so long and well he had did they they should have won an oscar for that yeah jim carrey's makeup in that movie was was, fantastic was she in that no but she was little and she said that she always would go to set with her dad and it was inspiring and was it taylor momsen from st louis wasn't she in that? she was cindy luhu and uh she said there were so many things that she learned watching her dad and she said sometimes actors go through things that cause a tremendous stress and you need to move forward and putting all that makeup on for Jim Carrey was so intense they had him collaborate with a Navy SEAL to train him is what she explained but the patience mm -hmm. so Ron Howard showed up one day on set wearing the entire outfit he was like, listen, I was in the chair for six hours also this morning. I understand that it's hellish, and I'm going to work today as the Grinch. Oh, my. Are there pictures? I didn't see any pictures, but I thought that was pretty darn cool. Uh, I've never seen the full movie, but uh, we should because mm-hmm. Finn's obsessed with the Grinch now. But the little baby Grinch and the ki- the kid Grinch yeah. is the cutest little thing <laughs> ever. Teeny, tiny Grinch. Yeah, these little kids in these Grinch outfits. Uh-huh. A couple people have been added to the performer list. SZA is going to perform at the Grammys, and so is Joni Mitchell. The nine-time Grammy winner is set to perform, marking her first-ever performance on music's biggest night. She also has the chance to make that ten wins as she's nominated in the category of Best Folk Album for her Joni Mitchell at Newport Live album. If you don't know, she suffered a brain aneurysm in 2015, but... In years, she's turned to music to help herself rehabilitate, and she's getting better every second. The Grammys will air Sunday on CBS. Martha Stewart is working on a tell-all documentary for Netflix, which could be interesting. And if you're looking for something to watch tonight, The Greatest Night in Pop is now streaming on Netflix. That's the documentary about the making of We Are the World. St. Louis native, Academy Award nominee, Sterling K. Brown is on with Seth Meyers tonight. And then a few celebrities celebrating a birthday today. Sarah Gilbert. Remember Darlene on Roseanne? No relation. Carter. uh, She also co-created The Talk. She's 49 today. Greg Louganis is 64. Oprah is 70. 
and Tom Selleck is 79. That's your evening entertainment right here on the Big 550 KTRS. All right, let's wrap this Monday show up with a couple randoms. The moon is lemon-shaped. Lemon, so not exactly uh, round. It's more ovally. More ovally. I heard the the Earth is kind of like that as well, but not nearly as bad as the moon, apparently. Why do we say lemon? I mean, could have said potato. Well, potatoes have a lot of different shapes to it. Okay. Um, Avocado. Yeah, it's avocado shaped. No, but that's more like you know, bot, like a bottom heavy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, yeah, yeah. Lemon it is. The lemon okay. it is. Lime. <laughs> Both are, it's lime. <laughs> uh, there have only been four outdoor games in NBA history. All of them were preseason games, and the Phoenix Suns played in all four of them. The most recent one was in 2010. Do you remember that college basketball game? I think it was Michigan State. On the aircraft carrier? On the aircraft mm-hmm. carrier? There was a lot of wind. I think it was oh, a lot of missed that would be shots. Awful. Yeah. I think it was yeah. in San Diego, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. And the wind was so bad that, you know, and that counted. It was a regular season. Yeah, game. I think they've stopped those since then. Because of that. Yeah. And the city that's made the most bids to host the Olympics without ever getting one is Connor Detroit. Oh. Mm. There's zero for seven. Well, there's always next year. The next, next four years. <laughs> the most recent bid was in 1972. London is quite the opposite. They've made four bids and they've gotten all four. All right. Makes sense. Well, that does it for us. Thanks for hanging out with us on this Monday afternoon. Hopefully you'll come back and do the same starting at 3 o'clock tomorrow. And until then, see if you can put a smile on somebody's face.